the big takeaway here is we see clients all the time that have a vague idea of who their customers could or should be. And, and one of the, the traps that I find most folks fall into all the time, because this is just so common, is they want really big businesses and they want the top of that organization. It's like everyone and their mother wants to do business with Microsoft and wants a conversation with Satya Nadella. Party people, welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media, and I will be your host and bartender today. I am speaking today with Eric Quanstrom, who is the CMO at Science. Eric has a pretty solid history in running both executive functions for sales and marketing. And what Eric and I are talking about today is outsourcing your outbound SDR function. Talking about when does it make sense as part of your SaaS sales strategy and equally as important when it doesn't. We'll talk through some common misperceptions about outsource SDRs. And I think this will be a very interesting topic for those of you who have always been resistant to it in the past. So grab a drink, relax, and join me as I speak with Eric Quanstrom. Eric, welcome to SaaS Half Full. Great to be here. Happy to uh, be on this episode. Yes. Where are you calling from today? I'm in San Diego, California. Beautiful. Appreciate you talking with me today. Understand I am drinking alone this afternoon, which I am no stranger to. It's okay. Sometimes I'm drinking alone at like 11 a.m. on a Tuesday, but this is a respectable hour on a Thursday. We are heading into our very first in-person social outing for Blast Media since February of 2020. So I am pumped. So this drink will parlay into several others here after this interview is over. We were introduced through the mutual group that we're a part of, a CMO Coffee Talk group that we're a part of, which is an awesome community. And you are no stranger to B2B SaaS. You have spent some time in that, and I want to get through your history. But what we're going to be talking about today is the topic of outsourcing sales development, when you should, when you shouldn't, is there a right time? What type of company, scale of company does this work for? And everything in between. And this is a really interesting topic because I do see in a lot of my shared groups that I'm in, one of them also being the Revenue Collective, there's so many questions that pop up around, should we do this? Shouldn't we? What companies do you recommend? At what stage? Should we hire someone internal? Like This is a, a very robust discussion and top of mind for both sales and marketers on the B2B SaaS side. So Looking forward to talking about that, but I do want to give our listeners an understanding of what you do today as CMO of a company called Science, and then also your journey into B2B SaaS. Let's start with what is Science, and it is a company spelled C-I-E-N-C-E, so science without the S. We're fast and to the point, so we just cut the S entirely out of the mix. Science (laughs) is an outsourced, outbound company, so we combine tech and humans, if you will, to conduct really top of the funnel, appointment setting, lead generation. And we work with, frankly, hundreds of different B2B SaaS companies, as well as other industries all across the spectrum, all different sizes of businesses as well, to fill their pipelines, to help them generate net new sales opportunities so they can close more business and ultimately grow. And you have spent the latter part of your career as a CMO 
and working on the marketing discipline. Talk us through how you originally got into B2B SaaS and when you knew marketing was your thing. Well, I kind of knew marketing was my thing early on. I had spent the first half decade of my career at the what was then the largest media company in the world, News Corporation. We had started and launched a lot of their online properties. And frankly, I, I had witnessed kind of the power of brand and the power of marketing to really move a lot of needles. And it was an intense passion of mine. Actually, one of the reasons that I went back, got my own MBA, specialized in marketing, and then kind of really pursued and, and ultimately held a number of head of marketing CMO roles over the last decade and a half. I see marketing as a craft and myself as a craftsman, largely because I think of the field as ever-changing. I see it as dynamic. I see a lot of the marketing programs that say I used to run even a decade ago being completely irrelevant and nonsensical today. So much is changing and that's part of the fun of it all. But then also adhering to a lot of the principles, things that will never change. So these are things that endlessly fascinate me and really a key into why marketing, why me, and why I've architected my career in the way that I have. We share similar interests in that I am so much into the psychology of of sales and specifically, um, but us ourselves as an agency, we've tried a lot of different options when it comes to our own new business engine. Um, and it wasn't really up until uh, more recently that we ever considered outsourcing that function. And I experienced what a lot of others experienced where you're very cautious and reluctant to tap what you're considering a stranger to be the first face and first experience with a potential customer. And I don't feel like that reluctance necessarily or fear has changed. And I don't also don't feel like it's an irrational fear, but it is a viable option for many companies. But one thing you've talked about in the past, though, is that it's not great for every type of company. So talk us through who should even in the first place consider outsourcing sales development in the first place. Well, I think that especially when starting with the overall umbrella of B2B SaaS, the first question that you should ask is, what business model am I front-ending? So for instance, if you're running a freemium product or something with a very low kind of like ticket price, seat license, whatever, outbound is not going to be a good fit for you simply because the costs associated with running successful outbound programs are going to be higher than you need your customer acquisition costs to be. And so for that, those reasons, business model is probably the number one criterion or cut or filter that I would place on whether or not to consider outbound. I know we're specifically talking about B2B SaaS. What about like a B2B to C? Also, same thing, just looking at your business model and, and what you are selling up front. Largely because any successful outbound program, whether it's run in-house, whether you use an outsourced you know, vendor like ourselves, ultimately you want to orchestrate and you want to think about the entire process holistically. And I think that there's a real argument to be made that we here at Science have actually bet our entire business on certain trend lines, one of which is sales specialization. So there's this belief set, and you mentioned it earlier, right? Trust is so important. Well, trust is actually one of those things that comes from repeated exposure, experiences, expectations, and ultimately final delivery. And the way that I prefer to think about any given sales process is to divide it up into, frankly, what are the component pieces of a buyer's journey? 
in interacting with my firm, my brand, my sales folks, or my sales motion. And when I get around to thinking about where are the highest value activities, what does the, the total length of that journey look like? And then how can I divide up roles for maximum both efficiency, because that's frankly the way to get to cost economies, but more importantly, effectiveness. That's really where some cogent strategic thinking can take place around how I want to go to market. And so we use a lot of fancy terms like orchestrated outbound, but suffice it to say, we look at just about every job that might be performed by a sales development representative. So a specialized job in and of itself, largely that has grown out of formerly full cycle sales reps. So I think that there's a, a really well understood case and the world seems to be moving away from this where nobody thinks it's a great idea to have a sales rep that owns researching prospects, prospecting into those prospects across multiple channels all day long, running negotiations, configure price quote, ultimately an entire sales cycle with every buying motion, closing those deals and negotiating those deals, and then managing those accounts. Like what I've just described and the skill sets needed at each part of that journey is a unicorn. It doesn't exist. Like there's no one person that is good at all of those things. And furthermore, like time commitments in an average full cycle sales rep's life automatically introduce a bunch of very negative externalities or negative consequences. And so getting that balance right is kind of a fool's errand, in my opinion. And it should be, frankly, four to five people's jobs, if not more, largely because what you get with sales specialization is time on task and really a, a focus on the activities that each person would be doing at their part of the value chain in the entire sales cycle. I want to go back to that trust factor and how it also relates with training. Is you're thinking, okay, I'm hiring someone who doesn't know my product, so I don't trust they're going to have the right answers and understand it. How do you arm, if you're going to outsource your outbound, how do you arm as a company those individuals with the knowledge that they need in the first place? Or are we overthinking that? Maybe more the latter or even option C, which is, if you're thinking about a sales cycle, how much upfront are you going to be like literally jumping into the middle of the sale? I would argue that a lot of sales get burned because people don't think about the, the arc, the way that sale should progress, largely because especially in outbound, if you're going to start a conversation cold, you're coming from a standing start, if you will. People cannot be assumed to be familiar with your brand. They don't know your value proposition or where it fits in their world or what value you provide just yet. And so having deep and meaningful knowledge about pricing information or competitive set or integration points or the 34 features that your product offers is begging the question of like, well, when should that knowledge come in handy? I would argue that is a mid-funnel, mid-sales type of skill set, mindset, and acumen that your salespeople, that you're frankly your closers should possess. And so in their hands, artfully understood positioning of your product for best situational fit and effect with any given prospect is the highest value of their time. The conversation starters, on the other hand, generally need to be experts, not necessarily at the product itself, not necessarily deep and again, weeds level <laughs> knowledge of everything about your business and about your product, but rather deep understanding of why people might care to have a conversation in the first place. So 
we teach and train and coach all the time on kind of persona information and really what are the kinds of things that will trigger someone's interest. What I like to call creating lean-in moments, where if someone's reaching out to me cold, my natural stance is always going to be to have my guard up, to be a little bit skeptical or a lot skeptical, to potentially be interrupted or <laughs> like arm's length. So I'm not ready to open up and just hear anything on the spot, nor are high value targets. And so the, the real trick is how do you kind of understand that that's the world that you're walking into? You're walking into a, a world where incumbents rule the day. The status quo is your biggest enemy. And how do you begin a change management exercise, which is largely what prospecting is at the end of the day? Because if you don't have any change, you don't have any sale. <laughs> so how do you start that? And what activities do you really need to focus on at that beginning for maximum success throughout the rest of the journey? In your opinion, is an ideal sales structure where all of the outbound SDR activity is working through a third party is outsourced, and then more of that closer or product knowledge AE level is in-house. What do you think is that ideal makeup of a sales team? I think that there's probably no one right answer. There's a right answer for your business, your goals, and your, frankly, agenda and how you want to get there. One of the things that we would say, and I'll give you the negative consequence for ourselves first, if your goal is to have an SDR-led motion and grow a farm team of SDRs within your business with the explicit hope of turning them at some point into sales executives, then an outsource agency like Science probably won't make a ton of sense. The thing that I think you get when you outsource, this is more of the positive why Science or why outsource any lead generation to any company like us, is you should also adopt or get part of a process. And that process should be really well-oiled. And I like to even say, and this kind of attaches to my earlier comment, our process always starts with research. We spend an inordinate amount of time focusing down on what we call an ideal customer profile, so an ICP. And the, the main reason we do that is because all sales development is one-to-one -one outreach. It's me to you. It's human. It's not a marketing activity where it's batch and blast, and I'm sending the same message to 10,000 people that I send to one. As such, research is kind of like your big leverage point. And the more articulate you can be on, hey, who is in my buying group? Who are part of my buying cohort? And what are their, even their roles? What are my entry points? Who are my key decision influencers? Who's going to be my check signer? Who will be the champions for my product? Who will be the end users? All of those things and mapping them out and determining who are the right fit accounts for me, who are the logos that I want on the wall are all really good questions to be thinking about because once I get answers to those, I can be very strategic with my outbound. And then all the motions that I take, again, downstream of that can be very deliberate, including the gathering of that research that then feeds every campaign that you're going to run one-to-one -one across multiple channels with the goal of starting those conversations, usually in the form of a qualified appointment that then passes its way through the sales cycle usually to a sales executive and beyond. Am I right to assume that most B2B SaaS companies who come to science already have a well-defined ICP uh, and buying committee? Or are you still finding yourself in situations where they think they know, but you discover that it they don't know? 
or even worse, where they say, wow, we're you know, vertical agnostic, title agnostic. You're like, that doesn't fucking help me at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Being in the agency business yourself, you have probably a, a real lean in to where the truth lies. And the truth is actually almost an 80-20 in the direction of people don't really know. And the reason they don't know is, is actually not ignorance. It's lack of the ability to form a really strong hypothesis about who should be our customers. And now that I've determined with some rigor who those people, who those accounts should be, I'm going to go test the hypothesis of what are the value propositions? What are the hooks? How does my brand fit into this equation so that I can ultimately stress test against all of these different hypotheses, whether you want to do segments or cuts by industry, by geolocation, by size of organization. The, the big takeaway here is we see clients all the time that have a vague idea of who their customers could or should be. And, and one of the, the traps that I find most folks fall into all the time, because this is just so common, is they want really big businesses and they want the top of that organization. It's like everyone and their mother wants to do business with Microsoft and wants a conversation with Satya and Adela. It is. Yeah, we, we get a lot of vague answers sometimes as well. And if I hear an answer of who are competitors, oh, no, no one does what we're doing. I'm like, bro, you have perceived competitors. You have point solutions. You have, you're competing with the status quo and doing nothing. Like you have competitors. But I can imagine as for your function, specifically with the, the outsource SDRs is really having an understanding of who these buyers are and hopefully even better case scenario for your clients they have experience already in that particular vertical. So if the answer is marketers, it's like, okay, well, who? Is it a VP of demand gen or VP of digital or a CMO? Who is that? And that you actually have that playbook where you're like, all right, we got that profile. We know what that looks like. And we've done programs before. You're not going to find that all things considered equal, even if it's an SDR that's two years out of school and it's similar to the one that you have, they don't have that playbook established yet, most likely. So that to me would be a huge value add if you have sort of these repeatable ICPs to which you're selling, that would be really valuable to me as a client. We approach everything with a well-worn process and a ton of playbooks. That said, the one ingredient that I would encourage everyone that might be listening to this to really think about is there is no such thing as a cookie cutter formula or an easy button to press that just works for all clients. Why? Because your brand, your own value proposition, your own messaging of what makes you differentiated and special, if it's not part of the story, there won't be outcomes. There won't be people leaning in and wanting to learn more about why I do business with you. Like ever. I hearken back to like starting with the first principle kind of premise, which is, hey, anyone worth scheduling a, a qualified appointment with is automatically a high value target. Respecting them, their time, their ambition, their role, their ascendancy within their own company, their needs, their goals are all very important points to focus on when running an outbound campaign. Why? Because people do things for their own reasons, not ours. <laughs> Would that we can flip that around. But as Robert Cialdini and many others have taught us through decades and decades of behavioral psychology and research, ultimately, people will be open or will make time for that which benefits them. 
And so attaching that which benefits them, whether through methodology and playbook, but to your brand, to your, again, unique circumstance is the real art. And so that's why I say it's great to have a process, but it's still going to be a learning journey of what the market's going to bear for each and every client because of those unique variables that come situationally, case by case, client by client, product by product. Yeah, absolutely. And and the SDR's role only takes or only goes so far in that, let's say you book an appointment or you have some interest and inevitably and naturally the prospect goes and does a Google search, looks at the website, the website's broke. If there's nothing that shows up outside of you know, your owned properties and I'm plugging PR, but you have your thought leaders aren't featured. Once that SDR has that interaction, you sort of let go of their hand and, and what they experience on the brand level then uh, all things considered equal with competitors is going to make a big difference. I would imagine that one of the barriers or areas of pushback that you get from sales leaders is, well, it's less expensive to hire internally. And I want to explore that and talk about cost of outsourcing versus hiring internal. Any of the major business hubs of America, for the most part, are super expensive, labor not accepted. And sales development is very labor intensive. So... The, the cost argument to me is I, I would just simply open up a, a, a question with anyone that said, hey, I can do it cheaper in-house and, and say, really? Because <laughs> I'd love to see your numbers all in. It's one of the reasons, too, that I would add, turning slightly personal for a second, science is a global organization, and we do leverage for especially some of our key roles, what we call researchers or messaging specialists. Even some of our callers are located offshore. And we enjoy cost advantages and labor arbitrage where we access really top talent for sometimes pennies on the dollar of what we pay here in America. Now, we augment that with a ton of U.S. staff as well. We have a a very large and growing fleet of U.S.-based callers. And what it means to bring those people into our fold, teach them, train them, ultimately provide career progression paths within our organization and do all of the things and take away a lot of the headaches that frankly are so pernicious when you do try to do it in-house and become huge cost centers, I might add, along those lines. Management, as management of staff is such a huge deal where a lot of dollars go to die when done ineffectively. And and the cost of training all in. And the tools also, I mean, something to not be ignored is the cost of the software being used to use with the reps in particular. So it's like the, you have to think about not just the the salary or base or whatever it is and commission, but the all in total cost of an SDR really starts to scale. Do you get any pushback around cold calling of thinking that's not a viable route anymore? I mean, literally like the cold call. Do you get any pushback on that of that is not something that maybe a sales leader believes in as a viable method? Or is that still pretty well accepted as a way to connect? On the sales side, it's still pretty well accepted. On the marketing side, there's definitely still people that worship at the church of inbound and want every lead that ever touches their doorstep to be at least, I'm doing air quotes here. (laughs) audio only purposes. They want it all to be permission-based. And the trouble with that is that, frankly, I actually like to think of, and this is a really interesting contrast. One of the things that I've observed is the deal shootouts where you're one of five vendors. 
And the main reason you're one of five is because the progression path that led someone to your door to fill out your form or become kind of an MQL in your system and ultimately raise their hands is because they're doing that with you and all of your competitors. I guess in some respects, that's a good thing that you're part of that list when, whenever you are, but it means that every deal is really competitive. One of the things that is a real hallmark of outbound is taking the message to the streets, taking and really owning kind of the agenda setting in a sales cycle, being the first one in. And it's very uncommon for people to have outbound deals that are put onto the calendar that progress through to close one be highly competitive. And the main reason is simple is because you're the one setting the tone. As the firm that reaches out and finds interested parties that could use your software first, and then ultimately taking that sale through to close. And we get feedback all the time on inbound and outbound are completely different for this very reason, right? Like with outbound, I'm going to target all the accounts and all the logos I want to win. And that's the best and highest case of using outbound. And getting to your, your question of, of cold calling, our ability to call with value on behalf of any brand that we represent, on behalf of any SaaS company that we represent, that should always be the table stakes. If you're not calling with value, if you can't solve a problem for a person, then A, we won't take you as a client, and B, why even bother picking up the phone? Because it will be interruptive. It will be cold. And yet, there's still value in that person who does pick up taking it, learning about a new product that might help them in their day-to-day, that again, might help them solve some of the problems that they are dealing with. And the more targeted you can get with that motion, the better your results will be and the greater the number of outcomes. I think so far, my biggest takeaway from this conversation is switching your mindset on what you believe the role of an SDR is. And specifically from an outsourced one is you're not hiring an outsourced firm to sell your product. You are hiring an outsourced firm to target your ICP, qualify mutually, see if you're there to solve their pain, and then move that conversation along to go deeper. It is not about how much they know about the product. Do I trust them to give the truths about my product and my pricing and my business? Your hope is that they are qualifying the person and moving them along. And so it's changing the mindset of what you think the role of an SDR is. And I think that will help lessen maybe that trust or reluctancy to hiring someone that I don't have what used to be sitting next to me. Now, shit, now even that's removed. That was my biggest takeaway. What do you wish more CMOs understood about the SDR function? I would ask any of your listeners to consider the following. How often in today's day and age, is there ever a one call close? Rare. With anything. Like (laughs) with any business, in any sector, at any time, anymore. Like none of the data that I'm reading, none of the sales cycles that I've ever been a part of ever got done in one call, one meeting, one interaction. And that was it. And the reason is simple is because we live in a consensus-based sale world where everyone on a buy side, everyone that's part of an organization that might benefit from, again, the SaaS software that's going to be bought is going to weigh in. The stakeholders are all going to want to give their opinion. And frankly, it's a smart way to buy because the authoritarian dominant (laughs) Moses down from the mountain, we're going to do it my way 
doesn't really work that well as a management style or as a procurement method. As such, I think that there's a natural rhythm to everything in life. Sales, no different. And so the ability to kind of like open up a conversation, let that conversation grow, let rapport build, let synthesis and understanding of a product or service, again, take hold and a sales cycle take on a natural rhythm. That's how people are comfortable in buying. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. In fact, all of the leading research indicates that sales cycles are growing longer, more information is being consumed, more vendors are being used as, as proxies for how should I interpret the overwhelming amounts of information at my disposal to, again, solve my problems. And, and that's really where their minds are just in a weird place around how sales should be. Hopefully we'll see sales cycles start to shorten. You know, we've seen it with our business. But Eric, this has been super interesting. Is there anything that we didn't tackle that you want to make sure that we cover today? Well, I think one of the things that you brought up in the last question, and I kind of went left when you went right, is really around things that maybe marketers might take away from thinking about outbound. I just laid out a case where you know outbound has a role. And frankly, we've done studies around all the highest growth businesses, all the companies that have gone IPO, kind of like the SaaS 1000. And for those that have a non-transactional sales cycle, all of them are using outbound, all of them. It's not even a choice. It's more of like, hey, this is accepted wisdom in the space of how I'm going to grow my business. For CMOs out there like myself, what I would encourage the thinking on is outbound and inbound actually can work really seamlessly together. And they're not frenemies, they're good friends. Largely because the other benefit from outbound that's really hard to track, and, and we get into the thorny thicket of like every marketer's number one problem, and that's attribution. Outbound, you don't have that problem. Outbound, there's I, I still have yet to meet a client that debates where any science appointment came from, right? Like they're all like pretty clear, crystal clear on, on that fact. Inbound, however, much different story. But one of the things that's interesting is the Venn diagram overlap point between inbound and outbound. We always see with every single one of our clients, when we start and we start to run outbound programs for them, their inbound picks up as well. And the answer or the reason why is really simple. You're running awareness campaigns to high value targets. And a lot of them, they just come right around the outside at their own time, doing it their way. But hey, you got a read through on an email or you got a, a voicemail listened to, or maybe there was a call and it didn't lead to an appointment, but it familiarized that person with your brand or you connected on LinkedIn. There's this residue for every outbound campaign that's run that also really manifests itself with inbound. It's like, that's the secondary benefit, which I would argue is equally as important playing in the PR world. We're all about the brand. It's totally true. And most marketers will tell you there's 30% of their budget spent on brand activity that they can attribute zero revenue directly, but they know if they stop that, everything else suffers. And so the fact that you're actually though spending money on demand, which would be SDR side, and you see a lift in brand is icing on the cake. Well, as we close out every episode, Eric, I ask all of our guests if they have a favorite or signature toast to send us out. Do you have one? As a huge wine geek, <laughs> I say salute often. And, and that's the one for me, you know, like clinking the glass and here's to you. 
That is Italian for cheers, correct? That's right. All right. Well, salud. I will certainly drink to that. Eric, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks again to Eric for joining me on this episode of SAS Half Full. Hopefully it has got your brain going in a different direction regarding outsourcing SDRs. Eric was joining me for a drink, which is always appreciated. If you are interested in receiving your own cocktail kit, we can help you out. Head on over to shakerandspoon.com forward slash half full and you get $10 off your first box at checkout. As always, really appreciate the listen, guys. And until next time, bottoms up.